turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 7 this evening as we continue to work our way through this letter of Paul to the church at Corinth. Again, for an extended section of this book, Paul is defending his ministry and describing that ministry, and there are particular reasons he's doing that, but that's not all he's doing. We see little hints throughout this that he's holding that ministry up as well as an example to the church that he's writing to, so that there are, in the midst of him describing and defending, there are parts that, that, uh, that exhort us to engage in living this kind of life, and parts that encourage us to live this life despite the difficulties that come with it. Uh, This evening, he comes right out of last week's section where there's a a strong uh, uh, exhortation implied to to be out and sharing the gospel, uh, to, to recognize that Jesus Christ is our treasure. And that's why in verse 7, as we'll read in a minute, he goes right into, but we have this treasure. He doesn't say right there what the treasure is. He's already told us what that treasure is. That treasure is Christ and all of His benefits. And so he's going to talk about that treasure. Verse 7, as we read this evening, pay attention. That's the the controlling verse. Everything uh, through verse 12 that we're going to cover this evening is coming out of and explaining this verse. And he's going to go on to describe a paradox, this paradox that, uh, that we have this treasure in jars of clay and that what it looks like for us to live in the world as those who have this treasure is often lives of suffering for the sake of that treasure, suffering for the sake of Christ. He says we carry the death of Christ in our bodies so that the life of Christ will be manifest. Uh, there's, there's this tension here, this, this apparent paradox for us in his argument, and it's an important one for us to grasp and take hold of. So let me pray, and we will read and begin this evening. Father, we thank you for your word, uh, and we thank you that, that though Paul sometimes is making uh, such intricate and at times difficult arguments, uh, that nonetheless it would be clear to us tonight by your Spirit. Be with me as I preach. Be with me as I read your word. Father, we pray that you would change our hearts uh, and where we have not been faithful to share this good news, to to bear this treasure that you have placed in us, uh, where that has been as a result of fear or discouragement. Father, we pray that we would come to understand in both our heads and our hearts tonight the truth that Paul has for us in these verses. We pray these things for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Hear the reading of God's Word, 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This evening, two points briefly. First, we are called to suffer for the sake of Jesus. We are called to suffer for the sake of Jesus. And two, when we suffer, when we suffer, the power of Jesus Christ is put on glorious display. 
the power of Jesus Christ is put on glorious display. Now, I don't want you to miss this evening uh, the, the relationship between these two truths that we see in the text. It is not that we are called to suffer and also God will glorify Himself, but that it is by suffering that God has determined to glorify Himself in the world. And Paul's going to, he's going to actually unwind that logic for us in these verses So first, we are called to suffer for the sake of Jesus. This is what Paul means by making reference to the fact, by calling us jars of clay. Uh, We are susceptible. Jars of clay, uh, I think we all recognize pretty quickly, it makes reference to our weakness, uh, to our inherent lack of value in ourselves. But he goes on to to say that it, it means that we are susceptible to suffering, There is in our weakness an inability to be victorious, that we ourselves are are no threat to anybody, but it is God in us that is a threat to the kingdom of Satan in the world, that if we by ourselves were to constitute an army, few would be afraid of us but that God is in us, Christ is in us, so that when we do great things, it could only be God who gets the glory. Notice that we are susceptible then to affliction, to being perplexed, to persecution, to being struck down. We carry in our bodies the death of Christ and are being handed over, he says, for Jesus' sake. All of these these descriptive words flow out of the fact that we are jars of clay. We are called to suffer for the sake of the gospel. But before we, we, we get too pressed down by that truth, notice that God does not hand us over alone. He doesn't stand apart from our suffering, but it is because we have Christ that we suffer, and it is the death of Christ that we carry and which manifests the life of Christ. Let me say it simply. God is not calling us to suffer beyond what Christ Himself has already suffered for us. This is why elsewhere in his writings, Christ or Paul can say this. It's, a, it's kind of a shocking statement taken at face value. He says, I fill up what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. How could anything be lacking in the suffering of Christ? Paul is not suggesting that Christ in His suffering is somehow insufficient to accomplish the salvation that is ours. But what Paul understands, and it pervades all of his writing, what Paul understands is that God has ordained that we would suffer, but that our suffering is the suffering of Christ. It's not that Christ's suffering did not have a quality to it that was infinitely capable to save us, but that having done that, God has ordained that our suffering would be added to it. That our suffering for the sake of the gospel is Christ's suffering. I I, I really just want to stop and we'll just meditate for another 20 minutes on that right there. Nobody will say anything. We'll just all think deeply about this. 
When, when we acknowledge, when we recognize in Paul's teaching that we are called to suffer, we should not take another logical step until we have stopped and recognized that that suffering is nothing less than the suffering of Christ. Christ suffers for us, and He suffers with us, and He knows our suffering because He is the root of it. He is the seed of that suffering. And all of our suffering is added to that suffering that God has ordained for Christ and for His body until He comes again. We are called to suffer for the sake of Christ. Paul, again, is describing his life here, not in terms of what it ought to be, but what it actually is. He has suffered tremendously for the sake of the gospel. And he does so, describing it this way, in part to call us to that same life. After all, this treasure that he speaks of is the same treasure. Paul describes both himself and us as jars of clay. We carry that treasure for the same purpose and to the same end that Paul carries that treasure We know all of this is true of us as it was of Paul because we too, together with Paul, are jars of clay. We are called to suffer for the sake of Jesus, and we do this through obedience to His Word, by bearing the death of Christ, by accepting the suffering that comes to us and not flinching, not turning away from that suffering, not refusing to be faithful with the message of the gospel, not turning away from the opportunities that we have to share that gospel out of fear of what might happen to us. We suffer for the sake of Jesus through our obedience by bearing the death of Christ, by bearing the suffering that comes to us. There are a lot of different ways that we can suffer in the world. What Paul is talking about here is the way we suffer when we insist upon obeying our Lord in in every command that He's given us, when we insist on not rebelling against Him, when we insist on living lives that look like Christ, and then proclaiming explicitly the life of that same Jesus to those who will hear. That's the kind of suffering we're talking about. We're not talking about, Paul is not talking about, the kind of suffering that some supposed Christians attract to themselves by going out into the world and being utterly hateful and obnoxious in the name of Christ. We're not to go out and draw attention to ourselves for the sake of drawing attention to ourselves. We're not to go out with a message that cannot be distinguished as love, but is not only perceived as a hateful message, but is in fact delivered in a hateful manner. We're to take the gospel into the world motivated by love. We will be perceived as not loving. We will be hated Christ tells us. We will be rejected and abused, but He has been hated first. He has been rejected more unjustly than we. 
And so we go out into the world to suffer for the sake of Jesus. And that brings us to our second point this evening. And I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I almost despair of being able to, to draw these things together uh, and do justice to them. But when we suffer, the power of Jesus Christ is put on glorious display. Uh, again, as I opened, I want to be clear with you this evening. Paul is not talking about two separate things here that are detached from one another, isolated from one another. He's not talking about our weakness and our suffering and Christ's greatness and His power and the treasure of Jesus Christ. He is talking about how God has intentionally taken that great treasure, placed it in jars of clay, and then subjected those jars of clay in the world to the suffering that they will then endure to everyone's astonishment and to the glory of God alone. It's, it's interesting here. Look at what he says. Verse 11, For we who live are always being given over to death. Now, I don't know if any of the teachers we have in the room teach grammar. But you may have recognized there that Paul put the verb in the passive. That means someone is giving us over to death. And if you're in a hurry, you might assume it's those who persecute us. But it is not. It is God. God is giving us over to death. That's what Paul is saying right here. God is giving us over to death. We must then believe that God is either not good or He has a perfect purpose in doing it. I hope it goes without saying tonight that I'm of the opinion that God has a perfect purpose for doing it. The problem is not a question with respect to God's goodness, but that He has this mind-boggling plan to use us in our weakness to glorify Himself. He's going to go from the, the language here that, uh, that is, is in contrast, right, back and forth, verses 8 and 9. Uh, because of our weakness, we are afflicted, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, we are struck down, but because of the treasure that resides in us, we are not crushed. We are not driven to despair. We are not forsaken. And we are not destroyed. To the utter amazement and confusion of the world that sees only us and cannot imagine us withstanding what they have for us. I think big picture, if we step back and look at the history of the church, this is what's behind, if, if I remember correctly, it's Tertullian who says that the seed of the martyrs or the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. How the church has astounded the world when the world has done its absolute best to extinguish the church. And philosophers in Europe over the centuries have predicted over and over again the death of God. And yet here we stand. And it was not predictable. The church, the, the world believed it could snuff the church out because what it saw was people who were poor and weak and ignorant. And how hard could it possibly be to snuff this out and just to simply smother it? And somehow, 
by no power that could possibly, with any reasonable thought, be attributed to the church on its own. God is getting the glory. When we suffer, the power of Jesus Christ is put on glorious display. This is, it's important for us to recognize this because boots on the ground here, right? Daily living. This is what you've got to walk out of here with this evening. When you go out into the world, faithfully living as a Christian in the world and telling others about Christ, and you suffer... It is not a failure on God's part. It is not indifference on God's part. It is not weakness on God's part. It is God's plan. It is the means by which His power is put on display in the world. And if we don't understand this, we run the risk of of failing or, or falling into despair. We run the risk of falling away from the faith. If you've been a Christian for for many years, you have almost certainly known someone who in the midst of trials said, there is either not a God or He is not good, and I'm done with Him. And they've walked away from the church. That, That comes as a result of not understanding what God is doing in the world. Paul closes these particular verses and this this very tight argument here in verses 11 and 12, really 10, 11, and 12, uh, but 10 and 11 are are saying a very similar thing. Uh, So I'm going to start in 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. But there's a reason for it. Do you see that? So that. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul, in verse 12, ties the the argument up with a uh, deceptively uh, intimate statement. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul is reminding the Corinthians, because we were willing to bear the death of Christ, because we were willing to go out into the world and suffer, and we understood that that suffering was for the purpose of bringing glory to God, and bringing glory to God by bringing life to you, because we bore the death of Christ in our mortal flesh, you have life. And it's not only a statement of the deep love Paul has for the Corinthians, it is an invitation to take that same death in our bodies into the world so that we would bring life as the emissaries of Christ to those around us. So that we could say, as Paul does here, to those who hear and believe, death is at work in me, but life in you. Treasure in jars of clay is not a storage facility until Jesus comes back. It's meant to transport 
It's meant to carry. That, that word is here in the text, in the original language, we bear, we carry this treasure. We carry it to others. This is our calling in the world, Christian. I've said it before, and I, I don't want to be overbearing about this, and I, I've had to preach it uh, to my own heart this week, and I preach it to you this evening. Uh, if we are not suffering for the sake of the gospel, like any of us, we really need to evaluate, are we being faithful? Are we telling others about Christ? Because I can't read Paul and believe that 125 people would be faithfully carrying the gospel to Brentwood and greater Nashville and none of us are suffering. I mean, God is good. I would love for that to be the case. But the, the complete and utter lack of suffering betrays us. Suffering is not something that happens sometimes. Paul, go back and read the verses tonight. Paul says more than once, always. We are always being given over to death. We always bear in our bodies the suffering, the death of Christ. How can Paul say that? And yet there is no suffering. We, we either live in a community where everybody knows Jesus, or it's, it's difficult not to come to the conclusion that we are not taking the gospel out. And so I'm very thankful to our session for emphasizing evangelism this school year. I'm thankful to particularly our ruling elder, Builder, Billy King, and the, the work that he's doing there. I want to encourage you to be paying attention. If you're not coming to Sunday school after worship, uh, and it's simply because you, you feel like there's other places you'd rather be, I want to encourage you right now to be coming to Sunday school after church on Sunday mornings. We're going through this curriculum together that we're going to use in the spring, and we're going to ask you, and I want to encourage you even now, to be thinking about who you will invite in the spring. Who do you know that doesn't know Christ? that might be just curious enough to be willing to show up here on a Wednesday night, be fed a little bit, watch a very well put together video, read a little bit together and ask and answer some questions. That's what we're going to be doing in the spring. It's not the only way to do evangelism, but it's one of the ways that we're doing it. And I want to encourage you to be a part of it. Uh, be praying even now, as I said, for who you might invite. Let's pray.